Hey, good morning, family. What a great morning. I am just so excited to be with you and really honored to be part of this series. I have really been enjoying Pastor Ryan's insights on thin spaces, on God coming particularly near. And so I'm just really grateful to be part of this with you. Kathy gets to be with me this weekend as we had a chance to launch a Made to Flourish network on Thursday. And I didn't share this in the first service, so there's a reason you're here. But we're celebrating this weekend 38 years of marriage. And uh, so just give her the credit she's due. Um, I just turned 40. I don't know how all that works, but uh, it goes quickly. Um, this is Palm Sunday. And what I'd like to do today, as you um, have a Bible with you uh, in whatever form, turn to Luke chapter 19. We'll be in that text. You can also... Uh, Put a, a little finger in John chapter 12. We're going to combine them together. You'll see them on the slide as well. But sometimes it's, it's fun to look in the, in the Bible itself. I, sometimes I just need to open a real book. Maybe our grandkids won't know what those are. But anyway, um, but we'll be in that word. This is Palm Sunday. And it's the beginning of the most important week of the Christian year. And uh, can I just celebrate with you that right now we're joining with over 2 billion people around the world saying, Hosanna. 2 billion saying, Jesus Christ is Lord. What an amazing thing. And then the millions and millions of others all through history who've celebrated this moment. Reality and truth, reality and truth have met one time perfectly in history. And that's the event of Jesus Christ. Now, when Ryan referred to my academic career, both in Berkeley and Santa Cruz, and, you know, there is such confusion in our age about truth. Would you agree? I mean, we can't even agree on an event happening, can we? You see, our Christian faith, beautiful as the red letters of Jesus are, wonderful as the miracles are, beautiful as the Hebrew and Greek scriptures are, our Christian faith, though we need all of that, but our Christian faith rests fundamentally on a real person in history dying for our sins and rising again on Easter morning. You know, you don't need Buddha to be a Buddhist. Everybody relax, I think he probably existed. But you don't need Buddha to be a Buddhist. You don't even need Muhammad to be a Muslim. In Hinduism, this is all an illusion anyway. God came nearest humankind in the person of Jesus Christ. If you're newer to the faith, if you've been hanging around awakening for a while, we want you to know that God forever affirmed the goodness of what it is to be human in Jesus Christ forever becoming one of us. And then he so loved us and wanted to be with us, as we'll discover in this message, that he was willing to endure tremendous agony that he might have the ecstasy of welcoming us to himself. So what a wonderful moment this is. We're going to look at what Palm Sunday and Holy Week mean, and then we're going to make it practical together and have those thin spaces meet us this morning in some wonderful ways. So let's look at our scriptures together. Let's look at our text. Follow me as I read. From both Luke and John, as Jesus is coming into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, 
the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen. They kept shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Look, your King is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. What a great moment. The successor of David is here. The Messiah is here. The King is here. We're going to get rid of Rome and get rid of a few religious teachers too. We're going to, it's coming. The kingdom's here. We've seen the miracles, the bread multiplied, the dead raised. The king is here. And yet this king, who, as we'll see, receives worship joyfully. A few moments later, I don't know if it was a few minutes or a few hours, Jesus is praying, and he cries out, cries out in his prayer, Jerusalem, if you knew this day, if you knew what this day would bring, that would bring peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. You did not recognize the time when God visited you. We have this amazing joy and then this amazing sorrow. And the key word in that prayer is understanding the time. I want you to circle that, mark it, highlight it. This time of divine visitation. You see, the, this wonderful moment is fulfilling prophecies in Isaiah. The, the king is riding on a colt. The people are shouting. The kingdom's coming. But they had a very narrow view of that kingdom. And as we unpack Palm Sunday in just a minute in more detail, we'll look at both the expectations and the disappointments and how we begin to put those together. But I want to just take a moment and talk about Palm Sunday and Holy Week. Now, I don't know how to describe Easter as the climax of this week, but if you could put... The Super Bowl, the World Series, the Stanley Cup, the NBA Finals, and how about your brackets all being busted? If you could, if you could put that all together, it's, would, it, wouldn't, it would pale compared to what Easter means on the Christian calendar. When I, was first, when I first became a Christian in 1974 as a young adult, I was 15 years old, and uh, I went to all the services on Sunday. I could not get enough of the fact that Jesus Christ, who died for my sins, rose again. And in his life, we see our life and we see our future. So please, use those invitations. Believe with me that every seat here will be filled with people that get to meet our Lord. But this is called Passion Week, Passion Tide, Paschal Week, Holy Week. It's the center of Eastern Orthodox and Roman Catholic and Coptic and Assyrian and Ethiopian and Protestant and Evangelical and Pentecostal. It's the center week of all Christian traditions all the way from the, from the first century to this moment. By the way, I love Christmas. Do you like Christmas? It's okay to say yes. It wasn't even a holiday until the late 4th, early 5th century. And in fact... It was illegal in some states in this country until the late 19th century. We're all going, bummer. But folks, no Christian tradition, no place where Christ's name is uttered has ever been without Palm Sunday to Easter and all that that means. 
And what I'd like to do is just introduce each day to you for a moment to set the context of this prayer and set the context for us to receive Christ on his terms today. So Palm Sunday is a triumphal entry and a tearful prayer. This triumphal entry, the king is coming. That word Hosanna means Lord, save. Also could be, Lord, you are saving. I mean, this, this proclamation, this request, this desire. Come and bring your kingdom. The challenge is they didn't understand that the sovereign had to suffer. The king had to become a servant. The Christ had to be crucified. Floyd McClung puts it this way. In Jesus Christ, the creator allowed his own creation to crucify him and used that criminal act as the source of their salvation. The only person who didn't deserve to suffer suffered for every person who did. And they didn't understand that on Palm Sunday. They're just saying, okay. It's sort of like Christians that think the White House or the State House is more than what happens in their own house. Everybody smile. It does matter what happens in the White House. It does matter about our state house. But folks, we've been too concerned with that and too little concerned with our own house and the house right around us. Lord, come. And then Jesus cries out. On, now, by the way, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and many of our evangelical traditions are just kind of overlooked. But in Christian tradition, they're called Holy Monday, Holy Tuesday, Holy Wednesday. And as best we put the Gospels together, important events happen on these days as you read through. So on Monday, we have as many as three significant events that are happening. On Monday, Jesus looks at a fig tree that's unfruitful and speaks judgment. And sometimes, you know, in all of our desire to speak of the mercy of God, we forget that there is the holiness and justice of God. And, and Jesus symbolically says, if, if you refuse to receive if you refuse to believe. There's some really serious things that are going to happen here. And then there's a moment on this Holy Monday that he's anointed for burial. And all the super pious warriors get all upset that this perfume is poured all over Jesus. Of course, the people complaining the most themselves were helping themselves to the till. But Jesus said this act will be remembered forever. He's anointed for his burial, symbolically. It's very likely we also have the cleansing of the temple on Holy Monday. By the way, Jesus cleansed the part of the temple where outsiders were welcomed. And people had turned it into an ungodly marketplace. There was nothing wrong with providing sacrifices or giving offerings, but they had perverted that into taking advantage of non-Jews. Jesus said, my house will be, help me out, a house of prayer for all nations. And so that's just Holy Monday. How many of you know that's a good day's work? Probably on Tuesday, we have the last words of Jesus to the public. The last teachings of John chapter 12, climaxing in verse 32. If I am lifted up, I will draw all to me. Just as Moses, he said, lifted up this symbol of healing, this bronze serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man will be lifted up. I, I'm going to be put on a cross. 
And it's going to be that moment of apparent defeat that will be the source of life and victory. His first words, perhaps, in chapter 13 to his disciples. And on Holy Wednesday, it's also called Spy Wednesday. Now, don't tell anybody, but sometimes I actually read spy novels. I, I, come on, we all want to be the good guy that gets the bad guy. Let's face it. Don't tell anybody that a few of you have seen 24. I know that. But we all want to, you know, we all want to you know, somehow be involved in, but this, this is a more tragic one as Judas betrays his master for 30 pieces of silver. And then we come to Wednesday night into Thursday. And in the Christian tradition, this is called tenebrae. And it's a Latin word that means shadows or darkness. As we come into Maundy Thursday, as Jesus is in Gethsemane, praying for us, agonizing over what he knows is his ordained task. From the foundation of the world, it is ordained that the lamb be slain for the sins of the world. Have you ever been in a situation where you knew what you had to do, but you knew it was going to be hard? Kind of like final exams, right, students? By the way, I love being a professor on this side of final exams. <laughs> Didn't like taking them. But, but more seriously, we have all faced situations that we knew we had to go through. Jesus knew. He had prophesied. He predicted the Son of Man will be crucified. He'll rise again. He knew it. And yet, his humanity and awareness of what it was going to mean. He said, Father, if there's any other way. Have you ever prayed that way? Lord, there's got to be another way, and you know there isn't another way, but you still prayed that way. Jesus even understands what goes on in our hearts there. But as he made the decision to go to the cross, the shadows are falling. The unjust suffering is beginning. He's bearing our burdens as he says, your will be done. I love the symbolism in the movie, The Passion of the Christ. As our Lord says yes to his suffering, and he smashes the snake. Because at that very moment, darkness thinks they are starting to win. But at that very moment, our Savior is starting to secure our salvation. And then Good Friday. Who would ever thought crucifixion is a Good Friday? And yet in six hours on a cross, Jesus takes on our sins. The judge takes the penalty we deserve on himself. He takes on our sorrows. He takes on our sickness. He takes on our unjust suffering as well as what we deserve. He takes it all on himself. And for the first time, Moment in eternity. I don't even know how to describe the language. The eternal Son of God, who with the Father and the Holy Spirit is forever worshipped, one God. The man, Christ Jesus, experienced the abandonment of the presence of God. The absence of favor as he bore our sins. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet in that very moment is the reconciliation word. That's a good Friday. He turns to a thief, and what does he say? Today you'll be with me in paradise. He then says, it is finished. 
he breathes his last, commends his spirit to the Father. At that moment, he secures our forgiveness. By the way, God could have raised him from the dead in that moment. But we have Holy Saturday, a divine timeout, a Sabbath, a pause, a sealing of the tomb, a posting of the guard, a sorrowful gathering of disciples and followers who don't understand how the one they knew as Messiah is now dead. By the way, that pause was so important, not only because it was prophesied, but because that confirmation that he really did die, that that tomb is being guarded was so important. How many of you are already excited there's an Easter morning? Death could not hold him. The grave could not keep him. Angels announce him. Go and tell his disciples, and even Peter, he's risen. He's not here. He is forever alive. And in his resurrection life, we see our future. Now, Pastor Ryan had a semi-unsanctified moment. He mentioned the fact that people go to movies. I can't believe it. And by the way, I, I've seen Black Panther, and it's an amusing cartoon. But everybody relax. They're cartoons, okay? These are comic books. Everybody relax. Folks, sometimes when Kathy and I go to the movies, one of my favorite parts are the previews. No, 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 maybe, yes, no, no. They spend a lot of money on those folks. Profoundly, eternally, the risen Jesus is the preview of our future. Not a, not a ghost, but a human being with a transformed body. And in him we see our future. He's the firstborn of many brothers and sisters, the Bible says. And that's Easter Sunday. That's Holy Week. From Hosanna to he is risen. From weeping that so many missed the moment to the rejoicing, to the, to the agony of Gethsemane and the cross, but to the rejoicing that a repentant thief is welcomed. What an amazing week. I hope that you'll really enjoy the week. You'll get a gift at the end with a little guide to take you five minutes a day through the week. Now, let's bring this home. In the few minutes that we have left here, let's bring this home and talk about how we apply this. So Palm Sunday itself, the messianic successor to King David is here. The prophecies are fulfilled. People are excited, but their hopes are beginning to be frustrated because they had never put together the sovereign Messiah and the suffering servant. They hadn't put together that Jesus had to come first to die before he could then bring life to all. And so Palm Sunday is such... It's so important that we put these things together in our life. Um, is my day like yours? One moment I'm going, God, you are so, so good. And the next moment I'm going, where are you, God? Am I the only one? Let's be honest. I'm not saying every day is a roller coaster, but there are just moments we're going, hallelujah, and life just going great. And the next moment something occurs within ourselves or from outside of us. And all of a sudden we're in the book of Job wondering where God went. Folks, that's very much Palm Sunday. Very much normal as we walk through this together. 
these thin spaces, understanding our moment. Let's bring it down, first general, then specific. I'm so excited for how the Holy Spirit is going to take God's word and apply it to us. The first thing I want to share here about understanding our moment is that God is always ready to save. It is not his will, the scripture says, that any perish, but how many come to eternal life? All. Though he knows not all will come, his passion, his pathos is that all will come. Now, Kathy and I are the parents of three adult kids that we're proud of, that we love. Um, they're off payroll. And, and they're, they're giving more than they're taking. We love our kids and we're proud of them. And by the way, our oldest son in particular has been so blessed by this body of believers. So thank you for loving our son and loving so many of his peers. So wonderful kids. But every so often as we were raising our kids, we would say, God, thank you for your gift of free will. But why do our kids use it? I can't explain all the mysteries of why some resist and some repent. I can't explain. I can tell you, though, God is present to save. You are always in the will of God praying for the salvation of your friend, neighbor, family member. You are all, he's always there to save. He's always there to welcome. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. We're in the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus stopped quoting Isaiah because the day of vengeance is yet to come. We're in the year of the Lord's favor right now. Paul says today is the day of salvation. Jesus issues the great invitation. I hope you know, you've heard of the great commission. You've heard of the great commandment. I hope you know the great invitation. Come to me, all you who are weary. Are you tired? I love the message here. Eugene Peterson's... Uh, both his commentary and translation. Are you tired? Are you burned out on religion? Come and find a real rest. God is always here to save. In fact, I'd like to change, do a little change up here. Since we're the, we're the last crowd and I have till 2 p.m. to talk. No, no, we don't have that long. But would you take a moment with me in the middle of the message? Could we right now lift up someone's name that needs to meet Jesus that we could invite next week or is in our sphere? Would you pause with me, Father? Right now, we lift up family, colleague, friend, neighbor, some of whom we can invite, as Pastor Ryan shared. We lift up and we name them before you. I lift up my natural brothers who need you, Lord. And I say, Lord, Lord, save. Come and save. Dispatch your angels. Work in circumstances. Awaken convictions. Please, Lord, come and save. Come and save those that you love even more than we do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Would you say amen? Amen. He's always here to save. Let's go a little deeper, though. There are special divine moments. Jesus' joy on Palm Sunday was receiving worship. Jesus' tears that so many missed their moments of visitation. There are special moments in history, in communities, in our lives, when God comes particularly close. He's always present to save. But there are those moments experientially that he comes particularly close that we don't want to miss. And so understanding our moment is so important. God is always speaking through creation and through conscience. I love what N.T. Wright says, 
there are four echoes of a voice that are always shouting out around us. Now, let me illustrate it this way. I can just give you these words, but let me illustrate it. Um, Parents, siblings, friends, did anybody have to teach you not to say it's not fair? My three-year-olds figured that out. I never taught them that phrase, and yet they would say, it's not fair. She got a bigger cookie than me, right? Folks, justice is speaking out all the time. Put all the Hollywood stuff aside, all the social media stuff aside. Have you ever just looked at a moment of nature or creation? It didn't take your breath away. It caused an intake of breath. Have you ever had that moment? You just saw the Grand Canyon or a sunrise or a sunset, majestic mountains, crystal lakes, whatever maybe, and you went, <gasps> you saw beauty, didn't you? There's cultural beauty, there's, there's media beauty, and then there's just beauty. Beauty and justice, truth and love. God's always speaking through these echoes of a voice. Those neighbors you're praying for, God's speaking to them already. The key is, can they hear? But God comes near to individuals, to institutions, to neighborhoods, to nations. God comes near. I've been a part of institutions that had critical junctures in their history, and they missed their moment, and they don't exist anymore. And what a bummer. Oh, well, good news. I've been a part, like Awakening and other places, of institutions that caught their moment and their flourishing. The first 100 years of evangelical Christianity in America and England, from the 1730s to the 1830s, an amazing series of moments. The Methodist movement was born. A million people came to Christ just in the Methodist stream alone. And you add the other streams. As many as one-seventh of the population of England and North America were converted and revived. Missionary emphases were born. Social justice emphases were born. William Wilberforce, the great champion against slavery, led 70 social initiatives to change England. In our country, you might have heard of some dude named Ben Franklin. He's on a bill somewhere. He was a skeptic. He, he, he was never a warm-hearted Christian. But he emptied his pockets for the orphanages of all these people who were preaching Christ. And then the moment was missed. From the 1830s to the 1860s, every single denomination split over race and slavery. And a moment was missed. In my own tradition, we had a revival in L.A. called the Azusa Street Revival. Black and white, rich and poor, male and female, every type of person was getting touched by God, going out and witnessing for Christ. Nobody cared what your status was, what your gender was, what your race was. And yet five years later, every movement coming out of that moment split over race and slavery. By the way, it's beginning to be healed in my lifetime. Would you all agree we have miles to go? By the way, it's not an American problem. It's a global problem. Blood and soil are a challenge everywhere. And in Jesus Christ, those challenges are overcome by his blood. 
and by planting us in new soil. We can find moments and we can miss moments. And right now, today, there's a moment coming to us personally. God is not only near in general to save, but He is near all of us doing specific things. And I want us to drill just a little bit deeper as we seek to understand the moment. It's interesting, 30, 32 years ago, my wife and I were in Belgium. We weren't just enjoying the waffles, great as they are. I was doing some teaching there, we were doing some mission work, and driving on a wet, rainy day in the back roads of outside of Brussels. And by the way, Belgium is usually wet and rainy. It's sort of Seattle for Europe. Um, great place. Desperately in need of the Lord. But we're driving, and my wife turns to me and says, you know you're supposed to do a Ph.D., and you're supposed to do it on Belgium. Now, I had thought about that. It had been back in my mind that that might be part of my future. But what a, what a moment that turned out to be. Three years later, I was in a Ph.D. program, got a second master's and a Ph.D. at Santa Cruz, and did my doctorate on the history of Belgian Protestantism and the spiritual battles that were involved in that. And folks, I can't tell you all the doors that opened because my wife heard from the Lord, I heard from the Lord through her, others prayed as well, but we caught the moment. A few years ago, somebody said, you ought to go meet these people in Grand Rapids. I walk into a seminar, I, two years later, I'm a senior advisor for that organization, opening up everything that I'm doing today. Folks, there are moments that God comes near. So how do we know those? Let me share four principles as we close today that will help us understand God's moments and help us really catch a hold. Number one, we have to walk in the Bible's assertions of truth. One of my mentors said, you'll have more crises of obedience than guidance. Now, some of you are saying, I want to know who I'm going to marry. I want to know how my career is going to go. And I want to know how in the world I'm going to get a down payment for a house in Silicon Valley. By the way, those are good questions and God has answers. And the prelude to those answers for your life is to do today what God's already revealed to do. He's already told us to love him and love our neighbor. He's already told us to offer our first fruits and to pray. He's already told us to do our work as worship to him. And as Pastor Ryan's been teaching, he's, he's already teaching us how to understand more of how he's working in our moment. So the first foundation to understanding our moment is to do the truth that's clear. And that which isn't yet clear will unveil itself to us. Secondly, as we do God's will, we also want to become conscious of the, of the conviction of the Spirit growing in us. Sometimes it's conviction of sin, but also conscious of those, if there's things we can't quite seem to shake, things that sort of stay with us, we want to really know that we're hearing from the Lord, that we're alert to this. Now, let me, let me share about this listening. Now, I was born about three months early, and one of the consequences of that is I have a, a hearing loss in my right ear. And um, in order for my wife to whisper all those wonderful words or confidential words or whatever, I ha she has to sit on my left or I have to tilt my head so she can whisper in this ear. Um, and the Bible says we need to incline our ears to wisdom. We need to incline our hearts to understanding. 
there is an art and a, and a maturity and an understanding of how the Holy Spirit's working in us, not only in our intuitions, not only in our prayer times, but also as we listen to one another, are we inclining our ear to understand our moment? I'm in one right now, as my wife has been sharing for months, that there's some fresh things that God wants to do through us and especially through me. And I, and I often will say, yes, I know, dear. And, and then she keeps saying it, and I'm going, I, I think I need to hear this. Are we listening? A third aspect of this is do we, are we alert to the times that we're in? What is the time of awakening's mission in the valley at this moment? What is the time in the economy and sociology of this moment? Are you aware that we're not even merely postmodern anymore, folks? We're pre-singularity in this valley. Are you aware of the unbelievable evils of transhumanism that are subverting what it means to be made in the image of God? Are we also alert to the extraordinary good of all of the advances we're making for healing and for health, that two billion people have been brought out of poverty in the last 40 years? I mean, folks, do we know the times that we're in? Are we like the men of Issachar in First Chronicles? Are we like the w women and men that Paul says, wake up, understand the hour of Ephesians 5? So we do God's will that we understand, we listen for his speaking both to us and through others. We do some research. We look at the empirical voice of God and what's happening around us and try to understand it. And fourthly, as we want to understand our hour, we are awakened by the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's a very quiet kind of awakening. But folks, the name of this church isn't an accident nor a cliché. Refreshing and renewal and revival are wonderful. But awakening means all of those things and more. Because an awakening in scripture and history means that the experience we have here overflows to the transformation of individuals and institutions in every area we serve. And the Holy Spirit's awakening something in this church, in this valley. I hope you're encouraged, but I hope we have ears to hear. God is working. And so today is the day, today is a day of God's favor and grace. Today is the day to hear his voice and not, like Hebrews says, harden our hearts. I, I, and I want to be vulnerable with you today. Um, all of us bear wounds. And some of our deepest wounds we bear are from Christians, even from churches, or the wounds of unanswered prayers and disappointments. And it would be so easy to sort of seal off parts of our heart. But the writer of Hebrews says, today if you'll hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Step into his rest. Step into this thin space of God's presence. And let him heal let him help you. Let him be that source of deliverance and freedom that we've been singing about today. Today is a day of salvation. Today is a day of grace. And by the way, today is a day to begin a new future. You say, you don't know my past. You don't even know my present. 
Well, I was sitting this morning worshiping with you, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me about some things that I can keep improving. And so I said, Lord, I repent of my stupidity. Help me to keep growing. Folks, today's discipline is tomorrow's destiny. Anybody watch a few minutes of the Olympics? You can admit to it, even curling, right? But you know what we love most about the Olympics? What we love are all the stories that come together. Win or lose, it's a pretty amazing moment. Those Olympians didn't get up one day and say, I think I'll win the figure skating champion and then sit and eat Cheetos in front of the TV. It was daily disciplined for years just to be on the ice. And by the way, you don't ever want to put me on the ice any more than you ever want to put me on a dance floor. I promised my wife when my PhD was done that I would take a ballroom dancing lesson with her. I've done it twice. Both times I got special attention from the teacher. And I learned from the famous movie, This is Home and Stay Here. My wife is a choreographer. My kids all got her rhythm. I have a, I have a disorder. No, not quite. But, um, but folks, today's discipline is tomorrow's destiny. Today can start a new future because God is not only here to save, amen, but he's here for you, for me, specifically. And he's here for you and me, not only in our private moments, but he's here as we meet together, as we gather together, as we spur one another on. He's near to us. He's near the brokenhearted. He's near the crushed in spirit. He's near to us. Let me finish with a final story as we go to prayer together. When I was 17, I had the honor of just being a fairly young Christian, but a church that believed young adults could do something. I had the honor of leading a small group on my high school campus. I grew up, I went to Bret Hart and Leland High School in Almaden. Kathy is a Fremont grad in Sunnyvale. We still came together somehow. But I had the honor of leading this wonderful fellowship group. And, but in my senior year, my, my family imploded. My parents divorced. And the day after my mother said she was leaving, I had to lead my group. And can I just say thank you to all of you that love one another because we had a prayer time before the meeting and I poured out my heart and they prayed for me, went out and led the meeting and people came to Christ at that meeting. And then I could go back to the safe place and pour out my heart some more. In one of my worst moments, the body of Christ came near the Lord came near, and in my greatest weakness, saw one of the greatest just expressions of grace as people came to Christ. God is near right now today. And a few weeks later, my good engineer dad sent me to the psychotherapist, and the therapist said, boy, therapy will help you, and it's good best therapy you can have is to stay in your church and keep in relationship with each other. And it was moms and dads and sisters and brothers like you that helped me walk through that moment and give me some of the help. And all I want to do is say thank you for that and thank you to you. This is God's moment. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for coming near. 
coming near to us in Jesus Christ, coming near to us by your spirit with the gospel, coming near to us in moments of crisis and joy. And Lord, today you've come near to awakening church. For awakening as a family, we are listening to you, Lord. We're asking for your provision, your guidance, your wisdom. We're seeing your hand of grace and, and, and movement and blessing. And we say, Lord, Lord, keep coming near in your presence, in your purpose. Keep using our leaders, Lord, to guide and shape. But Lord, now personally, as we bow our heads and close our eyes in this moment, God, you are near each of us in our brokenness, in our hope, in our joy, in our questioning, you are near. Would you take a moment in prayer, quietly but verbally, just to thank him that he's near? And would you take a moment with me and could we just listen and say, Lord, let us hear your voice today. Directly, indirectly, however you choose, let us be aware of what you're doing today. God, we thank you for this. And Lord, it would be selfish to keep this in this room. But Lord, we pray for every church where Jesus Christ is Lord, that you will bless them. In this Passion Week and Easter moment, we pray right now that not only awakening, but every place would be filled with people saying yes to Jesus Christ. Would you pray that right now with me? God, we bless every body of believers, large and small, quiet and lively, whatever style or generation or tradition, where Jesus Christ is Lord, where your word is preached, God, we ask you come near. Fill them with your spirit. We pray for our valley, Lord, that we would understand this time and in our work, and in our service, and in our relationships, in our fields of influence, that we would know how your kingdom is at work and be able to battle that which is not your kingdom. God, thank you that you are near. We give you the praise and the honor and the glory for this. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen.